Hello, everyone, and welcome to the Retail Rundown. I'm your host, Julia Raymond Hare. And if you've tuned in before, welcome back. And if you are new, this is a show where we cover hot topics from news and trends happening in the best industry retail. You can get in touch with us on Twitter at Rethink underscore Retail, on LinkedIn, and many more. And you can find those links to our social handles on the bottom of our website homepage at rethink.industries, or if it's easier to remember, rethinkretail.org. If you're keeping up with the buzz and now on Clubhouse, it would be swell to connect with you on there. My handle is at Julia R. Hare. That's R like retail and hair like the rabbit. On most Mondays at 4 p.m. Eastern Time, you can join us for a live after-party discussion of the new rundown episode in our club. The club is Rethink Retail. Clubhouse sessions depend on guest and host availability, and we will be having a room on May 10th, Monday at 4 p.m. Eastern Time. So we hope you join us. You get to chat directly with everyone who's on the show, and we hope to see you there. Today, we are joined by my guests, Fossil Masood and Jeff Roster. Fossil is the chief executive officer of Fabric. That's a headless e-commerce startup. And before Fabric, Fossil had a very impressive background. He was the CTO of Staples, the COO of Alphabet's drone division called Wing. And he helped create Amazon Basics, which we all know and love. Jeff is the chairman of the retail advisory board at Aptricity and the former vice president of strategy at IHL Group. Jeff is also the co-host of This Week in Innovation podcast. Be sure to give him a listen on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you download your shows. Fossil Jeff, thank you for joining us today. Thanks for having me. Glad to be here. So we'll jump in. We have a bit of an interesting conversation today. We're going to talk a little bit about headless commerce, maybe get into a little bit of the podcast drama as we were supposed to have Shopify on today to discuss this with us, but they did drop out last minute. And I guess before we get into that, I'll go over some data, just some interesting new research that payments released. They showed Amazon's revenue growth is set to outpace Walmart's by a rate of three to one over the next five years. And that's pretty interesting considering Walmart's brick and mortar presence. But between now and 2025, Amazon's revenue is set to increase by an average of 63 billion. That's 15% annually compared to Walmart, which will see sales rise by 4.6% or 20 billion. This data also revealed Amazon will control about 14% of the market in 2025. That's up from 2% in 2014. So that's a huge jump. 2% in 2014 to 14% in 2025. Walmart is projected to retain 9 to 10% market share. These are huge market shares. That's kind of where we want to set the conversation today. What are your thoughts on this new data? I'll leave it to uh, Fasol if you want to go first. Yeah, thanks, Julia. I just want to comment on the first thing you said about Shopify (laughs) not coming. I completely understand why they wouldn't want to, but we would love to invite them at any point to talk about headless with myself, Ryan, on our CTO, uh, Omar Sadek, who's uh, also an Amazonian. So uh, if at any time, we'd love to have that opportunity. On the question about Amazon controlling, look, this is not surprising, number one. Number two, I have a couple of observations and points on this one, which is one, at Amazon, the business is run in a very different way compared to any other retailer on the planet. Amazon runs its business based on inputs and not outputs. And I'll break that down a little bit more. So when you're a category leader at Amazon and you're running a business, let's just say sporting goods, let's pick a category. You're focused on not revenue. You're focused on four key things. Traffic generation, selection expansion being the number one in the selection, price parity with the market, not lowest price, but equal price to the lowest price. 
And then finally, last mile delivery, making sure your nodes are always delivering Prime as much as possible, which is having, we called it fast track back in the day. If you have those four inputs, biggest selection, lowest price, fastest delivery, there's no question in the world you'll be the biggest category leader for that particular category. I saw this live running mobile electronics, building Amazon warehouse deals, and other areas where we were maniacally focused on what the inputs were because we knew if the inputs were right, the outputs would come. In comparison, if you look at the retail industry, even when I arrived at Staples, all we ever talked about in our weekly, monthly business reviews was revenue and margin. Now, those are two outputs of what I just described. So when you start talking about revenue and margin and you don't talk about the inputs that are going to drive those, what's going to end up happening? You're always chasing. You're in a constant chase. What are you going to do? Lower price, high, low, whatever whatever games you can play. And the rest of the retail industry is stuck with that. So Amazon's 500 million plus SKUs today, roughly. Walmart, I'd be shocked if they're touching 100. Amazon, availability of fast track sort of prime inventory. Pretty much anything you need is available same day, next day, or two hours. Walmart, I'm not sure what's available. And I'm not sure if it's from the right brands that I want. And then finally, when it comes to brand recognition, because of the selection and the convenience of one click for those 17 years when they held the patent or whatever time period, they've just set the standard in this, right? And it's very hard for Walmart right now to come and chase that business. And I think if they focus more on their core moat, which is what they're doing in healthcare, et cetera, they'd probably be a lot better off trying to get gain traction there versus just chasing with Walmart Plus, which I think won't do that well. I liked your points on on Amazon is run in a different way. It's on inputs, not outputs. You mentioned the four key inputs compared to what you said, you know, your experience working in retail leadership. You're always talking about revenue and margin. I'll let Jeff jump in real quick on his viewpoints as an analyst. But I, I wanted to ask you, some people like our, our friend Doug Stevens, the retail profit and others say, if you think Amazon's a retailer, you're out of touch. They're not. They're not in the game of retail. They're trying to control every aspect of our lives, essentially. Would you agree with that? Uh, I'm going to go back to sort of the little bit of the punditry and, you know, the shock and awe of the statements. Look, Amazon is a technology company that enables commerce in any which way possible. That could be B2B, B2C video on demand, whatever you want to call it. But the underpinnings, the foundation begins with the technology. And I'm going to go back to the earlier comment in our conversation, which is because Amazon is built on a you know hundreds of thousands of services and it's completely headless. Yeah, it's a technology company. Yes. But its goal is to please customers. Good. Jeff, I'll let you jump in. Yeah. A couple of thoughts. One, we in the analyst community have been sort of forecasting this day or debating what Amazon cross uh, revenue with Walmart. It's it's here, or at least it's almost here. And so it's kind of a little concerning, I guess, for those of us that love retail, want to see multiple tens of thousands of SMB retailers being successful. So the day is here. A couple things also to think about is when I started my retail analyst career 21 years ago, we used to always talk about Walmart as the example. And now we no longer do that. We talk about Amazon. So it's definitely another sort of a crossing the chasm moment for retail. The thing that's really important about those numbers, and I actually really don't care one way or the other about those kinds of payment numbers. What I do care about is who's going to drive this industry, who's going to be the most aggressive adopter of technology, who does every other retailer need to size up and and understand what they're doing to try to improve their game. And both those companies are going to be that. So as an observer of the space, it's like watching you know Godzilla versus uh, King Kong. I mean, 
<laughs> they're both heavyweights and they're both going <laughs> to slug it out. The bigger point from my perspective and looking at those numbers is the warning call. If any retailer on this planet has not fully embraced the idea that I am in a battle with the most aggressive adopter of technology, maybe in the history of this world, now's the pointed out to understand that you're dealing with a, a company that is the most aggressive adopter of technology I've ever seen that has hundreds, if not thousands of experiments running at any given time, most of which are targeted at your business. It is now, now, as you pointed out, to really rethink what you're doing and prioritize your technology approach to your business. Your CIO needs to be a rock star as opposed to a cost center. We need to be looking at all kinds of new technology. I think we're going to get into a conversation about headless commerce. I as somebody that's had to forecast overall IT spend, if you look at the level of just infrastructure spend that retailers do, it's phenomenal. It's huge. Very little of percent of, of spend ends up doing any kind of differentiating of the business. And hopefully, as we sort of fully embrace the cloud and fully embrace low code and some other strategies, we can push that percentage of innovative IT spend up well above the 5 6 7% it is now. And hopefully, we're all talking about millions of retailers in 2030 and not 5 or 6 and Jeff, did you just to clarify, did you say it's only around five to seven percent right now, IT spend? You'd have to classify it at Gartner in my Gartner days. Fifty percent was non-differentiating infrastructure, twenty percent was significant but not innovative. And I think only five or six percent was truly innovative IT spend. I mean, the devil's in the details, but it's not a lot. There's we're spending right. a ton of money just keeping servers running or just keeping infrastructure running. And I don't think a retailer will cut their overall IT spend. All I'm advocating for is look for cheaper ways to do things so you can spend the money at where it matters. And that's at the point of customer service. Sure. And Jeff, as you said, we will get into headless commerce. You made some good, but obviously scary points for any of our SMBs who who tune in. And you know, this is a B2B show or about retail. So we do have mostly executives and retail that listen in. But for some of the listeners who might not be as familiar, I'll pass this to you, Fassel. Just why is headless called headless? It's called other things too, composable commerce, et cetera, et cetera. I don't really know where the term came from, honestly, to be very direct. But essentially, if you think about it, it it's basically removing the head, aka the storefront, away from the back end. And the back end being all the clunky plumbing that goes behind between item, price, promo, a card, checkout, all of those pieces that run the website. In the past, uh, you would have a monolith like a Demandware or a uh, Oracle ATG or IBM WebSphere that you make one configuration change and everything had to go down for it because it was all glued together. Headless separates the back end from the front end so the logic can sit away from the front end where the customer can continue to see a great experience. You can deploy changes faster. And, and essentially, headless has gained ground because the more you go to a service-oriented architecture, the less you have to worry about these long production cycles and testing cycles and where you are pushing code once a month. I mean, when I got to Staples, we wouldn't do a change for 30 days. It would be mm -hmm. called a quote-unquote a build. And that build would build up and then we would deploy and, oh no, something went wrong, revert back to the original state. And then you don't have a push for another month. So that's just not feasible, right? If you want to be agile, you need to have a headless platform so you can keep pushing code every week, every day, and you know testing and learning and deploying new features. That's where it becomes uh, quite critical for businesses reaching a point where they are no longer needing an e-commerce in a box solution, which Shopify is probably the best solution out there in the world. Once you graduate from that and go to tens of millions, moving to headless becomes a better equation for most. 
And you talked about moving to a more service-oriented approach. And I think if you're listening to the show before we hopped on and started recording, we were talking a little bit about how a lot of people don't immediately associate headless commerce with Amazon. But Fasal, you said Amazon actually was probably the one who invented it. Invention is a big word, and you right. can say it any which way. But but I think the the architecting of a service-oriented sort of headless architecture existed at Amazon well before anybody else. So claiming that someone else did it is hard for us to digest here at Fabric because we, we have a lot of Amazonians. But it was the right approach, and that's what allowed Amazon to accelerate. In fact, if I could do a plug, I posted a blog about this on LinkedIn that Amazon was the OG on headless. They don't talk about it. That's not something you talk about. It's something that's uh, unique to them and bespoke to their platform. Others came on board with microservices later. We did at Staples. And back in 2013, we decided we wanted to decommission WebSphere because it was just a massive blocker to our growth. And over the next three years, we moved off of WebSphere and moved into an architecture that looked very similar to what Amazon runs. And just out of my own curiosity, so if you are with an incumbent like Magento or another player and you want to move on to a platform like Fabric, I mean, what are the barriers there? Is the cost huge? I mean, it sounds in some ways like retailers don't really have a choice because Headless is going to be the predominant technology of the future. So you have to get on board. Yeah, I mean, the cost is a lot lower than you staying with Magento. So number one, if you look at the full TCO with Magento, you've got developers, you've got some on-prem infrastructure, you've got some in the cloud, you probably have a designer, a product manager, you've got a bunch of folks running the shop. And typically, whenever we come across a Magento customer, we have yet to find someone who is excited about staying there. We discount deeply implementation costs because that's not really accretive to our company. Wherever we can jump in to reduce those costs and move them over to sort of commerce as a service with, with Fabric. We do that. So it's actually not that expensive. If you're a, uh, just to give you an example, if you're a $50 million retailer running on Magento or even Shopify and you want to move over, it probably, from an implementation perspective, we will eat a lot of that cost and you will not pay more than low six figures or even lower. Hmm. Wow. And we've talked a little bit about some of the favorite retailers, or I guess the largest, the Walmarts, the Amazons. And I feel like we can't have this conversation without bringing up Target. Jeff, I'll pass it to you real quick. What's your take on Target when you think about what's their role? Because obviously their sales numbers, you know, were out of the park and they continue to delight customers in every sense of the word. If you took out Amazon and Walmart from the conversation and just talked about Target, you would be looking at an amazing retailer doing almost everything correct. The problem Target has is you have two of the, the most aggressive, the most innovative retailers on the planet, certainly from a tech spend, Walmart from a supply chain excellence, um, Amazon from a everything excellence. And so it almost looks like an afterthought, but they're doing it right. They're doing exactly what they need to do. Their e-commerce is um, improving. I mean, I'm not the biggest fan of Target.com, but- We have a copy in commerce, Jeff, in case you want to see it. <laughs> by the way, by the way- <laughs> Yeah, former analyst. So I, I would never ever, ever said this, you know, when I was still a working analyst, but everyone should listen to Coffee and Commerce. It is probably the best podcast I've ever seen. You basically have engineers kind of walk through retail uh, websites and just with a hot mic. And it is unbelievable. <laughs> Amazingly good stuff. I just challenge retailers, listen, don't, you know, just listen to people that know what they're talking about and fix your websites because a lot of them are very poor. I'm probably the only guy in this country that actively tries to not shop at Amazon. 
I had, I finally broke down. I am now an Amazon Prime member, but I want to shop retail and to see how the business is evolving. And let me tell you, most of the retail websites are not very good, to be honest with you. Wow. Hats off to you, Jeff, for holding out that long. My wife's actually mad at me um, because <laughs> she's even worse than I am uh, and, or better than I am, I guess, in that regards. But um, it's important to understand. I mean, you can't, how can you talk about retail if you're not shopping the channels? And it is difficult. I mean, every single Amazon purchase I've ever done, I've tried to go somewhere else. And uh, oh, well. And Fasel, when you are on Coffee and Commerce and you're dissecting these sites, as Jeff was mentioning, you have some really, really good ones where you're calling out like Williams-Noma and some other retailers. Is that all totally live? So you don't you're not even looking at it before you're recording or do you do you look for the bugs? First no, no, no. Or? We uh, so we, we mix it up sometimes. So Ryan, our co-founder, did Williams-Sonoma. eBay was the CTO of Restoration Hardware, Prakash Mopirala, who is also an ex-Ebayer with me. The two of us did that. Uh, we did GoPro with Raj Desai, who's also an ex-GoPro employee. And then we did Target with Libby, uh, who's an ex-Target and Amazonian. So we try to mix it up and do it completely live. So we land on the site and then Rob walks the guest through the process as far as what are we going to do. We've structured it in a way where we'll land on the landing page. We'll go through the listing pages, search, cart checkout, and browse, and just sort of just go through the experience. And yeah, it's completely, uh, like Jeff said, it's a hot mic and there, there is no preparation at all. No. Cool. Well, congratulations because there's no foul language. So that's, that's uh, probably, probably quite an accomplishment. To, we try to warn beforehand, but if you see the eBay one, right? And, and we try to summarize in the end, like what were the big takeaways? And those takeaways, you'll see that, you know, th- these companies have just missed out on just the most fundamental basic things. I mean, you can't shop on Ikea.com. It's just unbelievable. It's such a bad experience. I will agree with that. (laughs) Right? Like you go to the store and it's an amazing experience, right? Ikea is de facto one of the best experiences you can go to go buy anything for your home. But when you come online, that doesn't translate quite as well because they just, you know, again, it's probably designed by consultants or whoever else. They haven't done it themselves. With eBay, it was interesting because they moved away from PayPal. And now if you go to the checkout, they've got like, or five different payment options. Customers don't want that complexity. They want simplicity. And they want to just know like, okay, how do I just get out of here? And so we try to make it as uh, simple as possible in coffee and commerce. But at the same time, we, we, we don't try to sugarcoat if there's an issue. What do you think the biggest offenses that you see on these websites? Uh, one that should be eliminated is the 4C pop-up. I don't know what it takes to get rid of that, but <laughs> I don't know how Nordstrom... In 2021, we did Nordstrom as well, by the way, Jeff. In 2021, still has a pop-up that says, how am I doing? Like, I'm in the middle of my checkout. What are you doing? Who instrumented this? Like, what logic did that take to put that in my face when I'm about to click checkout? Things like that. Number two is a lot of latency is introduced when you have those pop-ups when you land on a site and it says, oh, 15% off, give me your email. Those interstitials sacrifice your speed. It's also an interruption of a journey. We always believed that interrupting that purchase flow is the worst thing you could do with a customer because you've barely got 7 8 10% conversion if you're good. Why do you want to get in the middle of that whole purchase funnel? And we see a lot of retailers still um, doing that. Lastly, I'll say on the checkout page, having live links. I don't know how it's 2021, all these websites, you can click any live link on the checkout page and still leave that page. Go to Amazon.com. There's not one live link that you you have to click the browser back button. There's no way to get out of that page. 
That makes a lot of sense, though. I mean, it's it's logical. Yeah, I mean, if you're if you're there to shop, right, and you have decided, I want this, it's in my cart, I'm at the checkout, I've put in my credit card, I'm ready to go, why would you give them anything to leave that page? You shouldn't. And a lot of sites still do. And as you see some of the videos, when you get a chance, Julia, you'll see that we call out similar themes of issues in a lot of websites. And you would think product management, but part of this is because there is no strong product management. It's project management. It's an agency sure. design. It's not customer-led. It's not data-led. It's led through observations and ideas that have been read instead of studied. So that's where, you know, having spent 20 or so years in, in commerce, it just comes naturally to us, but it doesn't to everybody else. In this exercise, you have a lot of people who were at those companies, like you mentioned GoPro and Target. Amazon, eBay. It's not really a, a marketing plug, or is it, to do these coffee and commerce shows where you're picking out where things could be improved? Is that like a clever way to market yourself, or is it just for fun? <laughs> it started. It started. It started off with fun, but as we go through the exercise, we quickly realize, like, wow, if they had this component or that module, they could do better. So in the write-up, Rob would typically put, well, if you did these things, you could improve your experience. But no, the intention is to educate people on what good product design is, what does a good commerce experience look like, and why it should look like that. While they do that, if they think there's value that Fabric can add there, sure. If they don't, that's totally fine too. We're just providing a service. It's almost like a free expert review. So they are getting value of it. And if you haven't, maybe I'll take those links and reach out to people I know at those companies and be like, hey, did you check this out? Because I, I think it's it's interesting. They should be looking at it. We've had a couple of CEOs reach out to us. And uh, we've had a couple of team members who have designed those pages reach out to us too and ask us like, okay, what else would you think we should replace? And we, you know, we provide free advice. Well, I know we talked about Target just a few minutes ago. Do you think Amazon should be concerned about Target? I'm not sure if Amazon should be concerned about Target. It should definitely see Target as a company that it's possible Target's customers love Target more than Amazon's customers love Amazon. Mm-hmm. And that should be something, you know, Amazon has probably kept an eye on already. I mean, I know we did back then, but what I will say is Target has done an unbelievable job at building out, you know, the Target and the, the upper end Walmart sort of experience where you can be a Gen Z or you could be a Gen X or whatever. The affinity that customers have towards that brand, it's it's pretty unbelievable. And they've maintained that status throughout where if you look at their private label, I mean, they have just killed it with their private label. They've done an unbelievable job at building out a book of business that the quality is amazing. It's not private label to be the cheaper version of what you need. It's more, you're actually upgrading what you're buying and buying it at a lower price. So Target's created an ecosystem within their customer base that they trust the brand, they trust the service levels, and with their returns policies recently, I mean, I'll give you my example. I bought an Xbox and bought by mistake the one that was just the digital one versus came with a drive and the box was open. And mm. typically at Amazon, you have to pay a, a service fee if the box is open on video game consoles, at least from what I recall. Maybe they've changed it now, but it walked into Target, said, I don't want it. No questions. They took it back. So I think returns are the most important marketing tool you can have. Returns is not a cost center. It is a marketing approach. And I think Target's done a really good job. And Nordstrom led the way early on 
but I, I will say that they, uh, when Prime Now had come out, everybody was fearful that there goes Target's business because Prime Now was serving all those items that Target served, but it didn't even make a dent from what it looks like because uh, they've just maintained their overall ethos. Yep. And they did just come out with a, another private label, I think a month and a half ago called Favorite Day. That's a food label. And we'll see how it does because its other ones are knocking it out of the park. I want to shift a little bit on consumer behavior. You guys are both really smart. And I I wonder what you're thinking in terms of, you know, what are the long term consumer behavior changes that we're going to see as a result of the past year plus? Yeah, I mean, um, uh, from my perspective, there's a few corrections along the way, which was, you know, we thought Alexa would be a game changer and voice commerce will be extremely big. It hasn't really done much yet. There's still hope. But it's not been, I don't know, Jeff, how you feel about this, but it hasn't been at the trajectory that one had imagined when Alexa had come out. It's still basically a music and radio and ingredients tool. It's not really the value of Alexa from a commerce perspective has not been extracted to the degree you would expect. So I would say commerce would become a lot more subscriptions oriented just because people are buying the same thing stuff over and over again. But that's we're seeing that already. But the seamless experiences with drive-throughs and dark stores and faster delivery. I mean, you can imagine Prime being same day very soon. And uh, I've gone the other way. In my case, I actually select, put all my packages into one package and ship it on a Wednesday because people are getting sick of the dunnage that they're receiving every single day. So there's this dark side of you know commerce too, which is all of this packaging material, which is just not earth-friendly and also just a lot of stuff to take care of when the products arrive. So I would say you'll see a change. There used to be a program called Amazon Tote years ago. I don't know um, if you guys have heard of it, but it was essentially you would get a tote with all your stuff in it without the big boxes. And I think with the amount of velocity you're seeing with purchasing from Amazon uh, and transactions, you could imagine a day where you don't really need the overbox. You don't really need to do all of that. And you could just either pick up your stuff locally or not have to deal with that extra stuff in the supply chain. Uh, so I would say that's one second is just not seeing enough momentum on some of the other channels. I know video commerce is becoming a big deal and people are talking about it a lot. TikTok influencers are killing it on particular products. Gen Z, yes. Everybody else, not so sure. I still think that YouTube is going to try to make some inroads on v-commerce, but we still have a little bit ways to go unless you can have the buy button right there and product arriving right away you've still got a lot of friction. Like you place a Shopify order, you forget you placed an order because you, I don't know where it is. It's going to arrive at some point and they have an app for you to track orders. So we're still living in a bit of a draconian process where you have a competitor that has to tell you when the product is coming and you have Amazon where you never have to even think if the product's going to be at your door on time. So I think those things will get streamlined. People will get better at it. And uh, last mile logistics is going to play an incredibly important role because in my opinion, retail is logistics. That's that's essentially what it is. I love that you brought that up because I just had that poor experience the other day where I ordered something and I, I was like, man, when is it getting here? And I, I went to look up the arrival date and then I had to copy and paste this long code, you know, into the shipping provider's website to figure out if it had shipped yet, which it hadn't. It was just crazy. You know, with Amazon, like you said, it's just mindless. You just get it. You, you have confidence. Jeff, Fassel mentioned a few things like voice commerce, um, packaging being more sustainable. I think that's where you're headed with that. And then obviously what we were just talking about with living in a bit of a draconian state and that 
getting more buttoned up. What are some things that you're looking at? So I, I agree 100% on voice commerce. I can feel a couple of people just <laughs> ready to string me up because they're far more bullish on voice. I've been married 31 years. When I'm looking for a camera lens that's multiple thousands of dollars, the last thing I want to do is announce to Alexa to look for that information. And I also just don't, I, I just don't think it makes sense. I'm a huge conversational commerce person. I mean, social audio, I'm very, very bullish on that. And I think there's brand opportunity there for sure. I'm a huge advocate of taking out any kind of waste in the supply chain. So I know when I was at Target and Mervyn's actually, Target Corporation, we were working about cleaning up packaging, gosh, what, 25 years ago or so. It's sort of become vogue and cool. Well, we were just doing it because it made sense. All you got to do is go into any distribution center anywhere and look at the amount of cardboard. Now it's not wasted, but it's a huge amount of content. So cleaning that up is not only good for the environment, it's good for the bottom line. And when you know things that are good for the environment and good for the bottom line are the same thing, that's a great place. I've got a couple of data points from a recent survey, Fazal, that you're going to be, I think you're going to be pretty interested in. So it comes from a press release that MR just put out a couple of weeks ago. I can't speak to the methodology because I didn't spend the $10,000 to get the study, but the, the key findings they published were interesting. 57% of shoppers would be open to trying out a drone delivery service or robotic delivery service. Of consumers that have used contactless payments at checkout, 81% say they prefer it over cash. 75% of shoppers are willing to use technology that allows them to check out from their card. Of those that have tried Amazon Go or a similarly formatted grocery store, 76 prefer it over a traditional grocery store format. 76% of the shoppers responded that they would be extremely likely to order from their favorite grocery stores at a convenient pickup location of their choosing if they were offered their choice of pickup time and or had lower fees than doorstop delivery. Are those numbers right? Uh, they seem very, very optimistic, but I've always been an advocate of looking at data and thinking about the direction of it, as opposed to saying it's not 57%, it's 52%. I, can, I don't care if it's more than 5%. That's, that's a significant change. And I think what we're going to see coming out of COVID is we have a fundamentally different consumer that finally appreciates the supply chain, which is an old supply chain guy, couldn't be happier, couldn't be prouder of the retail supply chain in the last 14 months. It kept a nation fed did phenomenal job, but we now understand that. And so all these services that were sort of, a lot of retailers sort of threw together in, in an immediate response are going to become embedded in what the expectation is. And that just leads right into the concept of micro-fulfillment. I mean, we are looking at a fundamentally different retail experience. Some want high touch, some want no touch, or actually probably more want no touch. And so all these things, all these pieces of technology are going to come together to fundamentally transform how we do go about the business of retail. And you know, my clarion cry is, boy, do pay attention. The consumer has changed. So I'm on the other side of the age you know, range. I'm, a, I'm te technically a boomer. I, and I want contactless. I want technology. I want to know something's in the store. I'm not necessarily, I'm, I actually like going to store. So I'm, I will never, ever use drone delivery. But I do want to know stuff's available. I do want to use a lot of technology. I want to use video. I, I want to use audio. I want to use all these components to improve my shopping experience to gain knowledge. And if you want to see the best example of video commerce, it's not really video commerce. It's it's more live streaming. Just take a look at B&H Photo. I'm a big camera guy, big audio equipment guy. You used to have to, if you're sitting in, in Silicon Valley like I am, and they're only one store in downtown Manhattan, 
you'd have to either maybe do a call or do a text chat. Now, somebody just simply turned on a camera. And so the last time I was looking at a multi-thousand dollar lens, hopefully my wife's not listening. And I ended up talking to Jeremy right there on the sales floor. And B&H is just a rock throw from Javits. So every you know that's a classic stop at, at NRF, pop over, see what the guys at B&H are doing. And I had an amazing technological conversation. Jeremy was showing the lens, not only just showing the lenses, but demonstrating the different focal points. I mean, amazing experience. And, and the audio call or the video quality was terrible, to be honest with you, but I could care less because the content, the knowledge was amazing. And so that completely transformed how I'm thinking about social commerce. I mean, I looked at that and went, oh my goodness, this is fundamentally transformational. And the key is that's a retailer that is experimenting with technology and is very comfortable with not an optimal video image, but they are pushing the envelope. And this is exactly what every retailer does. I am willing to bet within five to six years, I will be able to go into Lowe's, Home Depot, anywhere where there's a technical component. And I should be able to somehow call, you know, just using a QR code or something, call up a content expert on that item. They don't have to be in the store, but they have to be available. Now, if retailers embrace that kind of a concept, we can get into a scenario where we can keep our industry transforming and be relevant to a consumer base. I'm actually very bullish. I'm I'm really excited as we come out of this because I see these, these data points. Now, the key is just who's going to respond to them. Mm-hmm. Who's going to respond and who will the winners be? And Jeff, you brought up a bunch of also amazing points. You talked about touchless, contactless, video commerce, conversation conversational commerce. And I realized you mentioned drones. And here we have Fassel, who (laughs) is very familiar with drones and led up Alphabet's drone division. So I feel like we could talk for hours. Jeff, thank you so much for joining today. Where can our listeners uh, get in touch with you or listen to your podcast? We're this week in innovation. So we're available. We're all the, you know, all the best podcasts are available. So we're on Spotify. We're on uh, iTunes. Uh, there are a couple of services in India and we actually have some downloads coming from India. So check it out. We want to focus on the startup community and retail. We want to look at all these interesting technologies before they really become big. If you're a retailer and, and you want to talk to us, let us know and we'd love to have you. We'd love to interview you. Yeah. And uh, Jeff would love to at some point connect with you about your podcast too. Uh, on our side, it's uh, really, we, we do a bunch of different things at Fabric, but our coffee and commerce is a regular in addition to a few of the things that are coming up and we'll keep you posted. But if you follow us on Twitter, you can see all of that. Great. Thank you, Jeff and Fassel for joining today. I hope you join again in the future. Thank you. My pleasure. You've been listening to the Rethink Retail podcast. If you would like to be considered as a guest on our show, apply at rethink.industries podcast guest. For sponsorship opportunities, send us an email at media at rethink.industries. You can help support our team at Rethink Retail by dropping us a rating and review on your iTunes podcast app. To each and every one of you, thanks so much for tuning in. Retail never sleeps. See you next week.